0: Welcome to Freedom to, to choose, choose, brought to you by Just As I Am Ministries, giving hope to people caught in the devastation of addiction. In this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God, Rich Kollenberg, shares 10 messages about God who loves you more than you can imagine. A God that wants you to understand Him. And yes, a God that welcomes your difficult questions about Himself and the way He runs His universe. Rich found freedom 18 years ago from his out-of-control life of drug addiction and alcoholism when God found him. Break free from the chains that may bind you or your loved ones. Now here's Rich on Freedom to Choose.
1: I'm one of those sentimental kind of guys. When I see a house like this, my mind, I don't know if your mind will go back with me, but my mind goes back to a 21 year old man out there building that house by himself. And then, at about one o'clock in the afternoon, his wife comes with a picnic lunch. And they sit out there in the grass and they talk about their life that's going to come and all their dreams and all their hopes. Maybe they kiss and look into each other's eyes. And then two years later, she dies of tuberculosis, and everything's shattered. Or maybe he dies in some terrible way, you never know. When I see an old car like that, I think of a family. Especially when you grow up in a small town like Lincoln, you knew everybody. You went, when somebody went uptown and got a new car, it was a big deal. The family would go up. They'd either go up to level Chevrolet. I can't remember the name of the Ford dealership now. It was right up the road. But the family would go up, the little ones, and they'd get that car and they'd drive off in the car. And, you know, it was just a big deal to get a new car. But there it sits. I don't know. You wonder what happened. Maybe the man had too stressful of a job and he started drinking. Maybe he had a wandering eye and something happened to the marriage and the kids ended up in a foster home. Who knows, but there's history behind everything like this. This was a brand new shining car and it was the hopes and dreams of somebody, but it's nothing now. It's sitting in a junkyard or in a field. We'll also find out who's responsible for all the shattered emotions our losses, our failures, our inability to construct a future. That's what depression is. Plain and simple, depression is an inability to construct a future. And there are many, many people, in a later presentation, we will talk about how people are coping with all the stress that's going on around us and what is really happening around us. And we, I mean, we can't imagine um, some of the statistics that we'll put up here of the people that are, um, are really, really struggling. They're your neighbor and your friends. So what is it that God wants from his creatures? What is it? One word. What is it? Somebody say love, right? That's what God wants from his creatures is love. Is God going to take creatures like us who are broken and damaged and scare us into submission? Is that what he's going to do? Would you do that as a parent? We hear this sometimes from the pulpit. Where does it come from? Jesus, as he was walking to Jerusalem in the book of Luke, it says in Luke 9, 51, As the time drew near when Jesus would be taken up to heaven, he made up his mind and set out on his way to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went into a village in Samaria to get everything ready for him. But the people there would not receive him because it was clear that he was on his way to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man has come not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. That's an interesting text, isn't it? I think the tower, is everybody familiar with the Tower of Babel story? We'll get into it a little bit later, but I just wanted to, when I think about those disciples, and I think about the Tower of Babel, it kind of runs parallel, because if you were to ask those Tower of Babel builders Don't you believe in God? Why are you building this tower? You know what they would have said? That's why we're building the tower. We believe in God, but we're scared to death of him. That's why we're building the tower. Back when they came out of Egypt, the children of Israel were a little bit rambunctious, and a little bit, uh, oh, I don't know, misbehaving. And God had to thunder from Mount Sinai, didn't he? In awful grandeur, if you will, right? But is that the ideal way to win somebody? Would you do that to your family? Do you do that to your family? Do you line them up in the morning and threaten them and say, tell me that you love me? That's not the ideal. So God has many times tried to get our attention in many ways. Many times it has not been the ideal because of the way we behave. And he's run a risk of being misunderstood, hasn't he? That's not the way we would run our family, is it? So, God, is he going to scare us into submission or is he going to deceive us into submission? Would he deceive us to win us over? Anybody know what those are? Pill pockets? Huh? Our cat has, well, our, we have two cats with hyperthyroidism. Okay? In other words, if they don't have their pills, their heart races at about 180, and it just it'd be torture to him to watch him die like that, right? So we have to deceive them to keep them alive. We have to put their medication in the pill pockets, and they've been—they both got this thing at the same time, their brother and sister, and they got it at the same time, and they've been on this medication for over a year now, and it's keeping them alive. But we do. We have to deceive them to keep them alive. But would God do that? He actually very clearly says, no, I'm not going to deceive you. In fact... In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No deception there. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's how it is. He's not going to deceive us to try to win us over, saying everything's going to be pink Cadillacs and roses. Right? So that precipitates another question. What will God do? How can he convince a bunch of damaged rebels to come over to his side? What can he do? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, he come into my life and he has swept up the broken glass from the wreck that I have caused. Has he done that for you? Can he do that for you? Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's God's kindness. Do we give him a chance? This is from a book called Healing for Damaged Emotions. It's a uh, written by author David A. Siemens. And it was very helpful to me. And like I say, sometimes people put things in ways in which I couldn't, if I wrote it, put it better, so I just give the credit to them and read it. Healing is the miracle of God's recycling grace, where he takes it all and makes good come out of it, where he actually recycles our hang-ups into wholeness and usefulness. This doesn't mean that all of the harmful things we've been describing were God's intentional will for our lives. God is not the author of all events, but He is the master of all events. This means that nothing has ever happened to you that God cannot and will not use for good if you will surrender it into His hands and allow Him to work. God does not change the actual factual nature of the evil which occurs. Humanly speaking, nothing can change this. It is still evil tragic, senseless and perhaps unjust and absurd, but God can change the meaning of it for you in your total life. God can weave it into the design and purpose of your life. Okay, and in a little while we will have bible for what he just said. And it'll when I was enlightened by that it just actually uh I was sitting in front of the computer, and I actually went, yay. Have you ever read part of the Bible and got so excited when you've, something, is, something clicked in your mind? How do you know for sure that God will come into our lives and sweep up the broken glass? You can say to somebody else, just have faith. God will help you, but, but can you say it to yourself? Can you really say that God will help me? I mean, it's easy to put your arm around somebody else and say, don't worry, God will help you. Just pray. But can you say that about yourself? Is God working in your life to the point where you have that much faith? Well, everybody see the sheep out here on uh, on Fry Ranch Road? I got like a 911 call one night. and It was my wife, Susan. And I could hardly understand her. There's a They left one out here. One, one, one what? They left one sheep out here all by himself. He just, and she was going crazy. I said, well, maybe we better call the city because they, and, and so she calls the city. And the city said, well, I don't know Would they call him, a grazer? Yeah. She said, I don't know what grazer it was, but we will call around and we will find out whose sheep this is. And we'll make sure. That that sheep gets loaded up. So evidently, when they came to pick up the sheep, they had left one, or the one that got lost, or whatever. And when I went by, there were people all over. It was get, it was late. It was a big to do. And the grazer, grazer did come, and it got brought this, you know, loaded the sheep up, and and the and everything ended up fine. My point is, is a human being with the limited amount of capacity to love. Can that be that worried about a lost sheep that she would call someone and that person would call a whole bunch of people and put a whole search party network in progress to come and get this one lost sheep? What do you suppose God would do? What do you suppose God would? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds like a promise to me. How about you? What if you're like me, though, and you have a lot of broken glass to sweep up? Will God come in and sweep that up for you? What if you're like King David and you have a lot of broken glass? You remember the story when King David was looking off onto another rooftop, And he saw the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Her name was Bathsheba. And he told his servants, bring her to me. And the servants brought her to David. And David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then Uriah the Hittite, he was out out in battle. And then David got a message from a servant saying that Bathsheba was pregnant David didn't know what to do so he tried and successfully and I won't go into the whole story he murdered her husband so he committed adultery and murdered her husband and we pick up the story here in second Samuel and it's really interesting What was David? He was a shepherd, wasn't he, before he was a king? And so God, in order to get a message through to King David, tells a short story about a ewe lamb, because God knew it would reach David's heart. He knew it would touch his heart. In 2 Samuel 12, 1, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet to deliver this message to the king, and he had a tough message to deliver. He had to tell the king that the king had blown it that the king had committed murder and the Lord gave him the exact perfect words to do that. And he came to him and said to him there were two men in a certain city the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought and he brought it up and it grew up with him then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to what? Die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. David has just pronounced judgment on himself, hasn't he? Notice. Notice. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. Can you imagine, Nathan? That's the king he's talking to. To the choir. Now, he's just told David, what? You've just done something terrible. David responds, but what's interesting, remember from the book we just read that God would take these horrible events in your life and turn them around, and completely turn them around? Completely turn them around. Read this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, what does that say? after he had gone into Bathsheba. Let me ask you a question. Do you find it interesting that God asks a man to write something in the Bible after he's done something terrible like this? I thought only holy men of old wrote the Bible. This is after he's committed murder. This is after he's committed adultery. Notice what David says and I I can't wait to get to the last line of this but notice what he says God has gone to him and asked him to write about this experience. He's gonna put it in the Bible Have mercy on me O God according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly for my, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressors and my sin is ever before me against you you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight behold you delight in truth in the inward man and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart purge me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What is David doing? He's yearning out for God to cleanse him from what he's done wrong. He's praying earnestly, God, I see what I've done. Please, somehow, cleanse me. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all of my iniquities. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And now notice, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now get this, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Do you see what God has just done? He's taken this horrible event, asked the man who committed this horrible event to put it in the Bible, And David makes a promise, understanding that when his his repentance is put on paper and people read it, that people will turn to God. God can do that in anybody's life. He can take something ugly and terrible that's happened. David understood this. Can you believe that? I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you, Lord. What a turnaround in someone's life. He will treat us like He treats His Son, even though we're not that red hot, you know? So, the question is does God owe us an explanation? He's actually already given us one. He really has. And in the next nine evenings, we'll explore the explanation. Now, once again, I wanted to start today a little bit on how God operates. Have you ever thought that God's given up on you? Anybody ever think that? Okay, a lot of hands. Can you see that that's an artichoke plant? Kind of hard to see, huh? Um, Tomorrow night will be a different kind of presentation, a little bit different. But I'll I'll, I'll share with you some struggles that I have every now and again. It's right between the ears. And sometimes I struggle with whether God has given up on me. I have those struggles and I'm glad I saw some hands out there because I don't feel so alone now. One time I uh, not too long ago about a week ago, I'm walking down the driveway and I'm talking with God and 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 you know, I'm not getting it. God gets it. I'm the one that doesn't get it. And I'm walking around, you know, and I and I'm and I'm feeling like that he's given up on me. Not because that's the way he is. It's because I've been listening to that old man in there. You know, the one that knows everything about you? The old man back there in your, in your head knows everything you've ever done bad. And he brings it up at the most inopportune times. I was listening to him. and He was bringing up all the bad things. And so I'm thinking, you know, God, if I were you, I'd give up on me. And I came around the corner And I looked in our winter garden and I saw that artichoke plant. That artichoke plant, I stopped watering in July because it had died. I gave up on it. And God said, I didn't give up on the artichoke plant, nor will I give up on you. He won't give up on any of us. But, once again, we have to understand how he operates to answer questions.
0: Really need
1: you. Do
0: Thank I you for love listening them? to Freedom to Choose and this series, Questions I'd Like to Ask God. If you or someone you know is living in addiction captivity and having trouble finding God, Rich and Susan Cullenberg are living testimonials that God does work miracles. They've created a seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook for yourself or someone you know, just give them a call and they'll send it to you. 916-645-1297 916-645-1297 or go to justiceiamministries.com as a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you 916-645-1297 or justiceiamministries.com thank you for listening and remember you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you